welcome to Around the World in 80s Movies. My name is Vince Leo. I am the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. I invite you to check out over 4,000 of my written reviews. You can read there anytime. Quipster.net is where to go. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. While you're there, I do encourage you to check out my other podcast called the Quipster Film Review Podcast, where I cover brand new movies that are out in theaters or on VOD. You can check that out. The link is there at the website, Quipster.net. Today, we're going to be wrapping up our look at vampire films, sort of. I mean, there are plenty to choose from, from the 1980s. This specific trilogy was looking at teenage protagonists in a vampire movie. The film I'm going to be recovering today, following up what we discussed on the last show, Fright Night Part 2, it's kind of a cheat. I'm assuming that the protagonist in this, if he's not 19, he's certainly going to be 20, maybe even 21. So not quite a teenager. I'm really fudging it quite a bit for the purpose of this review. But I wanted to follow up Fright Night with its sequel. Fright Night Part 2 from 19... Well, IMDb listed as 1988. However, it did not come out in most of the world until the middle of 1989. It's an R-rated film. It does have gore, violence, sensuality, and language. The runtime is an hour and 44 minutes. This film brings back William Ragsdale and Roddy McDowell. And a lot of newcomers, Tracy Lind, Julie Carmen, John Grease, Russell Clark, Brian Thompson, Merritt Buttrick, and Ernie Sabella. The director this time out is Tommy Lee Wallace. The screenplay is credited to Wallace, along with Tim Metcalf and Miguel Tejada Flores. Now, Fright Night Part 2, of course, is a follow-up to that 1985 cult hit that was discussed on the previous episode called, of course, Fright Night. And by just about every measure, I would consider this a disappointment. However, there are many people that actually think that it is a very worthy follow-up to Fright Night, and some people might even think it's a better film than Fright Night. Watching this film for the first time, I really cannot fathom why. I'm sure there are people out there that may disagree with me, and certainly I do encourage you to write to me, because I just do not see it. As far as the plot goes, we find the protagonist, Charlie Brewster. He's returning here, William Ragsdale. He's a college student now. He no longer believes, for some reason, he doesn't believe anymore. In the existence of vampires, he's had about three years of therapy, and somehow that therapy has been effective because he is absolutely sure that there are no vampires in the world. Also helping him overcome his supposed fantasies is his new girlfriend, not Amy from the first film. We have a fellow student out of the college named Alex, played by Tracy Lind. Things get a little bit dicey in the relationship between Charlie and Alex, because Charlie is getting seduced in a certain way through his dreams by this sexy vampire who's posing as a performance artist. Her name is Regine Dandridge, played by Julie Carmen. If that name sounds familiar, it's because Jerry Dandridge was the vampire in the first film. This happens to be the sister of that vampire that was defeated by Charlie and company in the first movie. Now, Regine wants revenge in the form of turning Charlie into her wicked vampire servant, at least until the end of time. And he knows he's in trouble if he doesn't get help. So he again goes to the only source who's going to believe him, that B-movie horror host and Vampire Slayer Peter Vincent, played again by Roddy McDowell. However, Regine is cunning, she's powerful, and she's brought along a gang of fellow vampires to help protect her. So this is not going to be easy. Now, this is a gorier, less amusing effort, I would say, this time out. It's directed and co-written by Tommy Lee Wallace. Wallace is a longtime friend and collaborator with John Carpenter, and if that name sounds familiar to you, he was the prior director 
He also wrote Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, the one that kind of falls outside of the Michael Myers storyline. And he also, in the future, just the very next year, he directed a 1990 TV miniseries adaptation, very famously, of Stephen King's It. Now, the original writer, director, and creator of Fright Night, Tom Holland, he had declined to come back for this sequel so that he could pursue making Child's Play. And what's missing here in Fright Night Part 2, at least as far as I'm concerned, is wit or inspiration. It really eschews a lot of the themes of being a misfit in life for more rudimentary horror-based tropes about combating evil for evil's sake here. Tom Holland, who was an actor himself, had worked very closely with his actors to draw out their natural personalities in a way in which would complement the script for the first film. However, Tommy Lee Wallace is a little bit different in his approach to his direction. He reportedly barely dealt with the actors. He concentrated more on the gory effects and the technical side of making the movie. He let the actors choose their own paths on how to play their roles. He didn't provide a lot of input. And so, therefore, it's a little bit less personality-driven here. Definitely much more emphasis on getting the look just right. And while it brings back the two main characters from Fright Night to star, it does contain the same composer in Brad Fidel for the score. Although the film as a whole still feels a little bit too different in tone and tempo from the first effort to really qualify, I would say, as a successor in all the things that you enjoyed about the first film. Now, tonally, I would say Fright Night Part Two. It feels, by comparison, passionless and without much inspiration beyond setting up more mayhem as a follow-up. It chooses instead to try to mix things up in this similar plot. The mix-up here is that Charlie is the one who needs to be convinced by Peter Vincent that vampires are real. In the first film, it was the other way around. Somehow, the tenacious boy who refused to give in when everyone around him thought he was crazy, that was in the first film. However, somehow, this pretty lackluster psychiatrist is able to convince him that he has been wrong all along, despite gaining all the evidence that he had needed in that first film and getting all the naysayers around him to be convinced as well. Somehow, Charlie, as long as he doesn't believe, nobody else believes. Also, Charlie here is the one in the relationship that needs to be saved by his girlfriend. It was the opposite the first time around. And other than that, I would say there's not so much here to come back to enjoy because it not only falls short of its predecessor in terms of old-fashioned B-movie laughs and that 80s-tinged charm, but it also has the unenviable distinction of following two of the most well-loved vampire films among genre fans of the 1980s in The Lost Boys and Near Dark. Those came out just the year before. And Julie Carmen here, she does what she can. She is alluring. She's sometimes scary, but her take on Regina ends up falling short of the fun that we saw in Chris Sarandon, who performed a very similar role in the first go-round. And that's partially because her character is so ill-defined here that her personality entirely changes from scene to scene, from scary to funny to seductive to whatever the scene calls for it. Also doesn't help that she has to compete for screen time with this entourage of three other vampire subordinates who are played in fairly one-note fashion. I mean, one's an androgynous roller skating mute. <laughs> I said that right. Another who calls out the names of bugs before he eats them. And then this other one is a daffy werewolf. Maybe not even a vampire, but one that can turn into a wolf. And they play for either comedy or terror, also depending on whatever the script is going for at the time. Now, reportedly, there were plans to bring back Stephen Jeffries as evil Ed Thompson, but he declined to return because he had a commitment to appearing in 976 Evil that same year, and that prompted his character to get rewritten as that comical vampire Louis played by John Grease. 
Amanda Beers also declined to come back to her role as Amy Peterson because she saw her role on TV's Married with Children get expanded, so she didn't really have the time. As far as her character goes, Charlie gives an explanation on why he would no longer be with Amy, uh, something about leaving him for an older man who resembled Jerry Dandridge. However, that scene reportedly ended up getting cut out of the film in the final release, so there's really no explanation for those people who see the movie as to why she's no longer there. The main baddie, Regina, was originally intended to play for comedy, much more so than the seductive menace that we see in the final product. That character is written to play up a spoof of Elvira, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, as a rival to Peter Vincent for control of his TV show. Some of that ends up in the script, in the final product, but it's very lightly touched upon. Julie Carmen ended up declining the role because she wanted some revisions made to make the character less of a spoof and much more of the seductive vampire that Chris Sarandon had been in the first film. Now, I recognize I'm being pretty harsh for those people who like Fright Night Part 2. Certainly, I know a lot of you are shaking your fist at me. I would say it's not a complete waste, at least as far as I'm concerned, because I would say one charitable thing I can say about the movie is that despite a smaller budget of $8 million, it does appear that it makes better use of its production money than its predecessor, especially in the design and the implementation of the creature designs. I mean, Tommy Lee Wallace, like I said, it was concentrating much more on the technical aspects, and I think that it does pay off in that respect. The makeup work in particular is actually quite good for a smaller film, and some of these creatures are effectively scary when the time comes for them to rear their literally ugly heads into the story. However, I would say that that's probably the only thing I would consider personally, to be better than the first Fright Night this time around. Despite its low budget, Fright Night Part 2 would go on to be a big commercial disappointment. It took in just under $3 million in its short run. The sequel to Fright Night had been greenlit back in 1985 before the film had even hit theaters. However, there was a changing of the guard at Columbia Pictures, and that new guard looked down upon horror flicks. They really wanted to concentrate more on highbrow entertainment that was going to give the studio some prestige and perhaps a number of Oscar nominations. So Fright Night Part Two was not high on their radar. They ended up selling off the rights through producer Herb Jaffe to a small company called New Century Vista. They were the makers of lesser tier cinematic efforts like Made to Order and Ruskies and The Gate and The Wraith. Those are the biggest films in their repertoire which aren't that big, although if you know your 80s films, they do probably ring a bell. The director here, Tommy Lee Wallace and co-star McDowell, they blamed the lack of distribution on New Century Vista's head, Jose Menendez, for releasing the film with poor marketing, and it actually went into no more than 150 theaters, which is dismal, especially compared to the first film, which had many, many times that many screens. A big bust here from a marketing and distribution standpoint. It did not stand a chance. Even if the film was good, it really was not going anywhere. Now, even with its financial failure, there were still plans in the works to continue on with the series. There was an attempt at a third movie in the franchise. Tom Holland talked about possibly returning. However, these plans would end up getting nixed with the infamous murder of that aforementioned Jose Menendez and his wife by his sons, Lyle and Eric Menendez, on August 20th, 1989, on the very same evening that he had had an unpleasant discussion with Tommy Lee Wallace and Roddy McDowell just earlier that day. Upon hearing the news of Jose Menendez's murder, McDowell mentioned to Wallace, kind of flippantly, in a phone conversation, well, I didn't do it, did you? So really, the follow-up kind of died 
along with Menendez at that moment. Now, with the third movie seen as not holding much promise, the franchise ended up remaining dormant, at least until a less appealing remake back in 2011 that starred Anton Yelchin and Colin Farrell. And there was a straight-to-video follow-up to that 2011 remake with a different cast in 2013. That is not considered in high regard at all. Now, Tom Holland, nowadays, he had sold off the rights to Fright Night just to get the first film made. He is, again, seeking to regain ownership thanks to the Copyright Act of 1976, which grants the original creators of a licensed property the chance to reacquire the rights 35 years later. Holland toyed around with making another film, but he has chosen instead to concentrate, at least in the short term, on making a novel to follow up his 1985 film. And perhaps if that takes hold, there is the potential there to make that novel into a movie if it proves popular. He also came up with a story that was pushed off into a 24-issue series comic book called Fright Night, the Peter Vincent Chronicles that follows immediately after the events of the first film. So if you're itching for more Fright Night and more Peter Vincent, you will find that in the pages of comic books currently out on the shelves at the time of this recording. So there's a lot of Fright Night that is in the works still for fans of the series. My fandom pretty much ends with the first film, although if Holland is involved, I definitely will give something a look. Maybe that book, maybe if they make another movie with Holland as the screenwriter and or director, I will be interested. But as far as Fright Night Part 2, I cannot recommend it, unfortunately. As Jerry Dandridge famously told Peter Vincent, the vampire hunter, when confronted with a crucifix to no avail, you have to have faith for this to work on me. And without a studio willing to back its product, and a director who seemed to have little interest in the source material that Tom Holland drew from to make the original Fright Night so fun, I would say there wasn't anyone who possessed enough faith in their own franchise to make it a success in the end. And so that's why I cannot give a very high recommendation to Fright Night Part 2. I'm going to give it two stars out of four. Two stars on my scale means that I do think that there is something vital that is lacking that would keep me from being able to recommend it to most people. And that thing that it's really lacking is the inspiration for making the film to begin with. Obviously, the first film was successful. Tommy Lee Wallace seemed to think that as long as he brought back some of the characters and was able to make a vampire film that had some comedy and some menace, that that would be enough. But to me, a lot of the original material that made it so fun was because it was drawing back to those old school horror films, those old vampire films from Hammer Horror and some of those TV shows that would be on at the time showing all of these crazy B-movies. And the first film is just so much fun. The fun, I feel, is absent, at least they try to make it fun, but I don't feel like the fun is really as natural as it felt in the first film. So the formula is just not there. The mix, it just feels off and it never gets its footing, at least as far as I'm concerned. As far as other people who may actually love this movie as a follow-up, I've read several people who champion this movie as to the reasons why they like it, but I just was not moved by any of it, unfortunately. But perhaps you have a different take. Like I said, you can write to me my contact information is all over my website at quipster.net. So two stars is the best that I can give. Fright Night Part 2. As far as what I'm going to be covering next week, we're going to shift into another three-part series. However, the first film in the three-part series is going to be another vampire film. This one was recommended by someone to me on Twitter as a vampire film that they enjoyed from the 1980s. It's a movie I actually have not seen before. I've heard of it quite a bit, but I have not seen it. Toby Hooper is the director. It is from 1985, the same year as Fright Night. It is 
Life Force. So for next week, Life Force will be the film I'll be covering. So check that out if you haven't done so already, and you'll be ready for my review. And until next time, thanks everyone for joining me on this trip around the world in 80s movies.